Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, when in these Bible studies that I'm doing at church, when relationships collide, Joseph had this gift of dreams and interpretation of dreams, but when he told it to his brothers, the, 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 the emphasis of the text is how he said it. He was not mature enough to handle his gifting at that time. And so, you know, sometimes um, we got to learn how to walk in humility. And so we can come off arrogant, right? When we've been gifted in certain areas. And, and you know, the text, he was already his father's favorite. So that didn't help. But, but we got to be responsible what God gives us and use it in a way that, that, um, that brings glory to his name and benefits the people um, in our lives. Let me ask you this. That leads me into question and I want to talk about your book things I think you ought to know from a father to a son and I was going through looking at some of the titles of the chapters but before I go there you said something about um, the mature not being mature enough to handle the gift sure. so let me ask you this how do you encourage people who may not know what their gift is yet but know they're gifted what advice or what do you say to them to help them find it or, or, or accept it or recognize it so I don't know if it's always as difficult for us to know and see our giftedness it becomes difficult for us to potentially accept the reality of it right so, Steve, wherever we have influence, and, and you know those places, those things that we do well, and those things that we engage in, and we see some differences happening, whether that's being an athlete, whether that's being um, an orator, whether that's a gifted in some kind of science, you know, some kind of academic area, we begin to see it, but oftentimes we can't recognize our giftedness because some of our gifts aren't necessarily our passions. Ah. Uh. And so the thing that we potentially are more passionate about, we may be less gifted in those areas, but that consumes our attention. So how do, how do you keep from mixing them up? Well, because your passion can your passion can never lead you, right? We ought to be driven by purpose, mm-hmm. right? Because because our passions sometimes are are not purposeful other than to satisfy our own, uh, right? So we got to be careful about that. And not that every passion is bad. But what I'm saying is that we got to be pursuing purpose and then align your passion with your purpose, right? And so, you know, all of us, there's some general purposes of our lives that we are as we are called to be Christian or called to be men. There's just some responsibility that goes along with that. And so, so I just, you know, I think everyone has to stop and ask themselves a question. Is this right or is this wrong? Or because sometimes, Steve, life ain't about right and wrong. It's about good, better, or best. Right? Because some of these decisions aren't wrong decisions. There's just better decisions. And I think we have to begin to live in that sphere of what's good, better, or best. Now, there's a book out about it. I, I don't know who wrote it, but it's it's, it's older. Uh, but I think, I think that's what it, life is sometimes. So it's not always right and wrong. I'm not making a wrong choice, but is this the best choice? So if, I, if I'm making a career decision, whether to go to Seattle or, or, or to go to Florida, you know, good decisions, what's the best decision, right? Um, when it comes to your daily walk and everyday life as a father, as a man, as a son, you know, this is good, but what's best for my family? What's better for my family? 
do you feel like um, that is based off of the place you are on the journey? In terms of that? In terms of that. I mean, I obviously, not just where I am, but what led me to where I am, right? So um, I'm 48 years old and I got, I got a lot of stuff behind me that has propelled me uh, that's opened my eyes my heart I got I got a lot of uh, what we would say uh, carnage right there's a lot of a lot of casualties behind me and I think with every step I've made up until this point it's 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 had a profound impact on on my life right so hopefully I've learned from some of the nonsense right and hopefully I've grown to now as I'm in this space be able to make those good, better, best decisions for myself, for the people that I lead, for my family, etc. So when you start thinking about from a leadership perspective, first of all, you a man first, you're human, you're human. Sure. Then you've got that call to preach the gospel sure. in your life. Then you've got the call to pastor on your life. Um, how do you Balance those. Does does one? Are, 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 do you bring do you bring them all into each area? So yes, I think you you kind of right because your family becomes your first church, right? You pastor those people first. Uh, the Bible says charity starts at home, right? I don't think that there is a space that I'm ever in that I'm not any of those people. I'm always all of them, no matter if I want to divest myself, if you will, of being a preacher in some moment, a pastor in some moment, a father, a husband in some moment, I cannot. In every moment, I'm all of those at simultaneously. I just preached a sermon, kind of a textual expository sermon. I used three different passages. And so in essence, I talked about the preacher. I talked about the significance of the preacher when the Bible says, uh, how can they hear without a preacher? How can he be? Pre how can you preach if you haven't been called and you haven't been sent? I talked about the significance because we're significant. God used us as a part of His strategy for salvation in the world. And though we can see God and the moon, the stars, and the quasars, it is men and women who get to be His mouthpiece. The significance of us. And then I talked about uh, the humanity of the preacher because. Paul wrestles with this whole idea that when I would do good, evil was always present. H.B. Uh, Jer Hicks calls it the schizophrenic preacher. But I want people to know that the preacher is, first of all, human. He's a Christian, right? There is no addendum to the expectations of God because you preach or because you pastor. The same expectation for a man or a woman of God is the same for the pastor. But I wanted to paint the picture that the preacher is human. He cries. He's he's happy. He's sad. He's sad. He struggles with depression. Uh, he hurts. He bleeds. He wants to cuss at times. He is absolutely human. And so we need not to think of him or her as some super spiritual being. No, he's just a man or a woman. No excuse for sin. God's not happy with nobody's sin, but he is human. And then, then lastly, I talked about the preacher's responsibility and what Paul tells Timothy is to preach in season and out of season. And so essentially, no matter what you think of me, Steve, as a man and the mistakes I've made, I'm a preacher. And I am called to preach that, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I didn't call me, God did. And people may not like it and because we're all growing. We're all growing as, as men and women. We fall, we fail. But here, when you're a preacher, you got to preach, man. What's in season and out of season? It means at any time. Matter of fact, one commentator says, you can't just look for ripe moments to preach, right? You In every moment, there is an opportunity to share, right? You, you can't preach when it's convenient or profitable, right? This one pays this. No, it's just be willing. And, and here's the word that's used in one of those texts earlier. It is not just formal pulpit preaching. It, it means that all of us are heralders responsible to share this wherever we are. So, you know, man, I just, I, I want to paint a picture, right? You remember back in the day, the preacher was almost revered, but today they, they don't care. If we need you, you got to bury us. You got to marry us. But, 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 but I want people to know the preacher, if not significant to you, very significant to the plan of you know, my struggle has been the dual consciousness that I have. You said something a minute ago, um, and there are moments where I want to absolutely take off uh, the preacher hat or the Steve Davis that you saw in the school motivating or in the community motivating, and um, I just want to be ratchet. I have found that the closer I have gotten to pursuing my total purpose and call, that the more the enemy has uh, placed in front of me things that would make me want to not be that man. That's natural. Your natural nature is naughty. Mm. It don't matter how you cut it. The Bible says we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. None of us have not been. Matter of fact, the Bible says the heart is wicked above everything. Listen, you ain't by yourself as it relates to saying, Lord, I don't want to pursue none of this holy righteous stuff. I just want to stay over here and be who I am, who I naturally am, right? But that's not what we've been called to do once you accept it, right? And, and it is... It is a tension in which we live in, and Paul talks about that. Uh, he says, when I would do good, the good that I want to do, I find myself not doing, right? He talks about this war that is constantly the, war, the war of our flesh yeah. against what the, the word says for us. And so, yeah, you're not alone, man, but, but because, Stephen, what you peddle around here is hope. And I think sometimes the hope that we peddle for others is the hope that we need to give to ourselves. Hey, listen, you just said something. I have found myself feeling more hopeless now than I have ever in my life. And I started thinking and I was talking to God. I said, it seems like the more I'm speaking hope, the more I'm, I feel barren of hope. Sure. It happens. And that's why I think that the man, the preacher, whomever, the leader, not, not only should they pour into, but they also need to be poured in. And so what happens is we get into these relationships that seem to take more than they give. And so then that becomes the difficult challenge. I'm, I'm all poured out. 
and who yet is pouring in me, right? So you've got to have some strategic friends and relationships to, that where that where people can pour into your life, right? So I think it's important because if not, then you're running on fumes, right? The the I heard Sean Jarrett, the preacher, say uh, the gaslight is on in your spiritual life, right? You you need to fill up. So how can we be intentional to cultivate the relationships with people that can fill our gas tank. So I think, man, as, as you talk about your making a men adult group, right, that, that becomes an intentional step. I, I think every man, woman needs a mentor, mentee relationship, right? You need to be able to sit down with somebody who can just... So you were, you were, you were, you were talking about being intentional sure. to cultivate those relationships. Yeah, so you know, you can you can use even as a biblical model, right? Most every leader had a compadre for the most part, right? Uh, a mentor mentee model, right? Um, um, Paul and Timothy and, and others. And I think that us as leaders or whoever, men, married men, I mean, we need to we need to latch on to someone who can speak into our life, man, who can challenge us, who can support us. Uh, I, I think we need a, I guess a spiritual term would be covering, if you will, but we need someone out there uh, who's looking out for us and praying for us and, and constantly, you know, in relationship with us, just motivating us to get the best out of us, right? Pouring back into you as you pour out to me. One of the um, chapters in your book is learn to be vulnerable. Mm. One of the things that um, one of the first sessions we do in the Making of Men and Waking of Women Leadership Program, the very beginning, um, we look at the self-awareness. We look at um, knowing oneself. And the reason we do that is because I don't think we can do anything before we help people first really identify and accept who they are. Because once they are able to do that, then the vulnerability can happen. I don't, I, and you tell me, uh, how does one become you said learn to be vulnerable. How does one learn to be vulnerable? So the impetus of that passage and that, that particular topic in the book is simply this, because I don't think you can be in authentic relationship with anyone if you're not vulnerable. And what I mean by that is that you are hiding or keeping from someone a part of you. And you cannot be engaged in real relationship if you're not vulnerable. Should you give? Should should everybody see all of you? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying in some relationships, husband, wife, father, son, right? Pearl don't belong to swine. But the reality is, is that God completely made himself vulnerable on Calvary. Mm to endure all of what he did to then have relationship with us who still allows himself to be heartbroken by our sins 
So therefore, I think when you have a real relationship with Not time out. Go back. You just said something. He allows himself to be heartbroken. Yes, sir. Come on. I want to go a little deeper there with me. Well, because we don't become vulnerable because we want to guard and shield ourselves ah. from being hurt. Ah. And so therefore, I can't express or show you my vulnerability because you're going to hurt me. And sometimes I'm this way because of past hurts and I'm not going to open myself up that way no more. But I'm telling you, at the same time you don't open up, the same time, simultaneously, you can't receive. So in order for there to be some transferring in this relationship, you know, what I find interesting is that there are there are planes that could be refueled in midair, in midair which is the most fascinating thing. But in order for it to be refueled, there's got to be a two-way reciprocal. Both people, both planes got to open up to receive. When you're not vulnerable, you're not receiving everything that you can. God has not left a part of him closed for us. Mm, but that's he, good. But he bared it all. And even as a son, as a father, tell, talking to my sons in this book, I think there were some things that I had to learn as a man and as a father to be vulnerable to your children. Like, listen, your daddy did this. Your father said that. You, I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, you're not glorying in, in any of your mistakes. But so, so, so it's not just being vulnerable about the bad stuff. It's being vulnerable about... You know, I, I played football at University of Oklahoma. I was the only prayed All-American. So I don't talk to my kids about that, but that's okay because if I talk about that too much, people's like, oh, you're bragging. Right. No, they need to know. Like, right. I really was. Like, I, I don't, I mean, it don't mean much, but it means something to those who are in this area of life. Right. Right. So, so you got to be vulnerable, man. I just think you will not experience the richness of relationships if you're preventing yourself from being vulnerable. I agree with you 100%. And that's one of the reasons why, um, as I've grown as a man, um, I've really been intentional to be more vulnerable and transparent because here's what I do know, is that God does not allow us to experience, go through something for no good reason. Yeah, no no wasted pain, no, no. wasted experiences, right? Um, I admire you for what you say and you put yourself out there. I personally am probably not going to be that out. But when it comes to these kinds of conversations, the moments where a person I can be intimate with, then I feel much more comfortable saying, you know what, let me just share this story with you. Right. And I think it's important because we have to have it. And and I hope that the people who are listening, watching, reading, understand that this is to be shared in a way that should be encouraging, motivating, uplifting, uh, to help you redirect some places in your own life. I tell people all the time, you said something, um, you see, you know, my, my openness and your openness is different. I tell people all the time, I said, depending on your leadership position, I said, um, you do have to be careful 
for the sake of people. Sure. That's because many people will struggle following you when they realize you have the same, some of the same weaknesses sure. they have. As long as they're not sure about those weaknesses on your end, then you find. Then you find. Yeah, yeah. But the moment they find out, oh my God, he's struggling with the same thing I'm struggling with. Now, they'll judge you. Oh, yeah even though they're going through it. And so I've tried to explain to people, I said, there's a reason why, because people say to me, man, I wish I wish my pastor would be as open as you are, Steve. I said, ah. I said, I said, let's just tell the truth and shame the devil. If your pastor was as open as I am, yeah. you wouldn't be at his church. Because no, you don't want to know that much. You don't want to know that much. It was your pastor, uh, Aglin Woodbury, who would often say, the more you know about me, you, you more you might not like me. That's real talk. He's telling me that all the time. And and I heard him say it in a, in a class or two. But but here's the thing about that, man. I heard one preacher say, it's cool about being transparent, but you shouldn't slice your wrist on the pulpit and watch everybody, and let everybody watch you bleed. Woo! That's good. You know what I'm saying? So, so, yes, there's some level of this. Now, this is why the Bible says, let ye who are spiritual restore such a one, right? This is why when Jesus was doing certain things, everybody couldn't be in the room because uh, everybody cannot be a part of the restoration it. process, right? Yeah, that's this good. Is, this is why the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin because there are some things that the world does not need to see because it potentially could prohibit, prevent them from coming into the body. That's why as mature believers, can you be trusted with the stuff of another person's life? This ain't for you to go tell and to tear down their credibility, but what it is for you to say is the Lord used me to restore this brother or this sister, to love them, to keep in confidence what I know about them, and then to still watch God use them, right? But most people don't want that. They want to see you suffer for your for your mistakes. You know, uh, Pastor, that's real talk. What you just said about um, um, making sure that you're in the right atmosphere, yeah. um, having certain conversations. Um, I've told my sons um, um, before. Um, I said you have to guard me. And, and I said, and they said, what you mean? I said, well, there's some things y'all know about me that can't nobody else know. Sure, sure. I said, so you can't just pop up at my house with your friends without calling me first. Mm -hmm. Because some things your friends may not can handle yeah. seeing or knowing that your dad sure. does. Sure. Right? Sure. And 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 it's not, and I can explain it, it's not that I'm being fake or phony. No. It's me guarding them yeah. so that I don't become yeah. a stumbling block for anyone. Sure. Well, what does it say? If it offends your brother to eat meat, then don't eat meat. But it ain't to say eat meat is wrong. That's right. It's just saying that if I'm in a different culture, then I want to respect the culture. So so I won't engage in my media. But as soon as I leave, if I want to get a piece of steak, then that's what I'm gonna do. So help, so so. But how does a man? Let's let's deal with men, right? Sure, very sure. specifically. So how does men? Because we have our egos, and mm. you know, how how does a man find that balance, man? How how because because many men don't. They're 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 either one extreme or the other. Here's what it is, though, Steve. I think um, when 
we are spiritual men, we got to be guided by the spirit, right? Because to accomplish any of what we're talking about cannot necessarily be accomplished within our flesh because our flesh will always then win, right? It is only the spirit of God that can keep our ego in check because then we will just let our ego run rampant with us. And, and I think with time and with experiences, you, 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 you know, I, man, I still got moments where, no, I'm the man and I, you ain't gonna do this because I'm a man and men don't take that. But then when I think about it, it's like, Lord, what are you doing? I don't want it, but you've clearly allowed it to happen. I don't need to act a fool about it. So then I got to acquiesce to the spirit. I got to humble myself. And, you know, the, the thing about men is we don't ever want to come off as being weak. Right. Like, you ain't finna one up me, excuse the fitna, but you you ain't right. gonna, you ain't gonna get over on me. I ain't gonna come out looking like, you know, a sucker. Right. But I think as you grow and you mature, you understand that you're winning. You're not looking like a sucker because you were vulnerable. I'm not weak because I, I've had some failings in life. I'm just a human who's struggling. And as a man, I think we need to recognize that about us. You're not going to do it all right all the time. You're not going to be perfect. But I tell you, you got to be aware and conscious of trying to give life your best, your relationship your best. And you're not always going to get to go your way. And here's the last thing I'll tell any man. You're going to take more than you say. Mm. But you're going to do more than you say you're going to do too. Mm. Mm. You know, um, you, you went into another chapter that's huge for most of us because we struggle big time with this and, and, it, and it's learned to forgive. Oh, man. And uh, as a divorced man uh, who grew up with out a father who always wanted to be a husband and a father at, in the, at the same time in the same house, when my marriage ended, I felt so unworthy in every area of my life because of that fit. That one failure literally made, almost made me completely collapse and throw away the gift and the call that I knew God had on my life. Um, I struggled forgiving my ex-wife pastor because I was struggling to forgive myself. I, in that process of healing that took some eight years, okay, I need you to hear me, some eight years, okay, um, God made it clear to me that Steve, you're going to have to forgive yourself first. Because, see, I was putting it, I, I, I hadn't even looked at that at all. I thought it was all everybody else, right? Sure. It's her and him and all of that. And when God finally revealed to me, Steve, your issue with them is the issue you have with yourself. So until you deal with the issues you have with yourself, nothing else in any other relationship will ever be worthy or real to you. Sure, sure. When I finally done that, Pastor, I have been able to climb the mountain in a whole different kind of way. Now, the the the, the difficulty is still coming, sure. but with a different mindset. How do you talk about when you say learn to forgive? 
what is that process? Give these people that are listening to this a process, if you would, to get and learn. Well, I don't know if I got a step one, step two. I, I think one, you have to realize if, if you're a believer that holding on to unforgiveness, it really only hurts you, right? Because there's a passage that says, you can't even talk to God with unforgiveness. Mm. He tells you to get up from the altar, go deal with it before you can even come back. So, so first of all, the one thing would be you're you're hurting yourself by holding on to the. So, time out. Can I ask you a deeper question right there, yeah, real fast? Because yeah. somebody's okay. So, if someone is currently praying and talk praying to God and they have unforgiveness yeah. is God hearing them he can hear you but my question would be is he responding because you still got some issues that you need to go handle I, 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 I've been teaching this when relationship collides for the like the last two months I had someone come up to me the other day and say pastor I held on to unforgiveness for 20 or 30 years and when I finally forgave them and went back to them, they have forgotten all about it. So you're the only one that's running around here holding on to that, right? And it's hurting you. So what's happening in that 20 or 30 years in your relationship with God? Then? What's... I, I personally don't think you're getting the best out of the relationship because you still got something undone, right? It ain't to say that God ain't hearing you, but I don't know if we're getting the best, right? Because you've not, have, you've not given your best because holding on to that unforgiveness. Remember, Jesus goes to the cross and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, knowing clearly he, he wasn't, he was saying, God, we're not going to hold on to this because what I'm doing on this cross is going to satisfy all of their stuff, right? So you start talking about you not forgiving yourself. And, you know, when Paul and Barnabas, when, when, when Paul separated and, and who was it, Thomas or when they got into a conflict, I can't remember the name. There's my friend, Pastor Carter, just told me the other day, he and a friend were talking and there's grace to stay and there's grace to go. Ah. So, Steve, even though your marriage ended and it was difficult and took some eight years, there's grace in staying and there's grace in going. Uh, I'm now approaching some 28 years of marriage and it has been up and down. Uh, and so there had to be a lot of forgiveness, right? So yeah. it is just a process, right? Uh, you having a desire to be in that house. I do, too, to raise my children, to do all of those things. Uh, but there's going to be a level of forgiveness that has to be met. Now, I ain't talking about forgiveness in a in a general way, but I'm talking about in a way that I ain't mentioning it to you every day. Uh -huh. I'm not holding it over your head every day. Uh -huh. Because though I said I forgave you, I'm still treating you as if I've not. Ah. Uh Right. So there is the difference. Right. So not that I'm ever going to forget it. But remember what he says to us, that I'll cast your seed, your sins into the sea of forgetfulness or as far as the east is from the west. And so at what point do the east and the west touch? Right. How and what is the sea of forgetfulness really means that I won't use your stuff against, against you anymore. You. Whoa. But what happens when we forgive, it's it's always dangling out there as to say, you remember, you did this once, you could potentially do it again. I forgave you, but I'm still holding this thing out here as a potential of where your 
behavior your actions can take us back to. So, so how can somebody let that go? That person who has that like that, what can, how do they that, that let that person go? has to be spiritual. That person has to be strong enough to decide that that's not going to influence them any longer. But you have to make that decision, right? Your wife, ex-wife can't make it for you. If you are in the process of forgiving somebody, you got to say, your son does something, gets your car, takes it out, has a wreck, right? So you won't let him drive. At some point, the boy needs to drive. Right, right. Now it's gonna be in your mind, but are you gonna are you gonna remind him every single time he gets in that ah. car about you? Remember what you did. Remember what you did. Remember what you did. Well, at some point, if I'm your son, I'll be like, Daddy, I ain't. I'm a walk. Right. Because I'm tired of listening to you. Right. right. So, so we we got to engage in that level of forgiveness. Jesus ain't reminding us of it all the time, right. but people will. I think when you got a mentor mentee relationship, for them to remind you is kind of different, right? They're reminding you to keep you in between the lines, but they're not holding nothing against you. They're just saying, hey, be careful, because you know when you walk into this this situation, this is a little bit more tempting for you than this one is, right? Yeah. So be careful. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, yeah. so, yeah. so forgiveness is powerful, um, but I want my boys to understand that they have to forgive me, I have to forgive them, and they're going to be in their own relationships in life with their own spouses, with their own children, with their own community. What level of forgiveness will you walk in? So your sons, my sons, our children watch us more than they hear us. Mm-hmm. So as the priest of our home, as men, um, what responsibility do you believe that we have to the actual spiritual development of our household? But I think it's important, right? I think as preachers, right, and, and whether that's leading them in prayer, whether that's being that model whether that's, you know, making sure that they're in this place to grow spiritually, whatever church you belong to, Sunday school, Wednesday, just whatever. I think you have to, to lead them. It's funny because now my son, oldest is 25, the youngest is 21, and my, my baby girl is 11. And they come to church when they come because they want to. Mm. I can't make them come. Mm-hmm. And then it's funny to kind of hear their spiritual conversations, right? Uh, my youngest told me the other day, he's like, I want to do your funeral when you die. I said, well, typically, son, there's a preacher up there. Not saying that that's what you need to do, uh-huh. uh, but because you're bold enough to ask me, then the, who Pastor Carter is the one that's on to do my, my eulogy right now. I said, I might have to tell him to scoot over because the boy won't say a word or two. And so, but it's 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 cool to kind of watch where they are. They're not perfect kids, Steve. Right. Uh, but they are keenly aware of God. They are keenly aware of the kingdom. And and and, and it's cool to kind of watch them go through their stuff and to be convicted at times and to be emotional about some of their choices and to know that this is not what God expects, even if their daddy could have been guilty of it. They, they know now themselves that there's a different expectation. And so it's really cool for me to watch and see. Do we, get, do, we do everything perfectly? No. Were we the best models all the time? No. But, but it ain't us who has to be lifted up as the great model motif, right? It's Christ. There's no excuse for us to do evil and wrong, but, but son, where I fail, there is yet another example. I had, an inc- I had a situation just last night and this week. Um, my son called me last night and I could hear it in his voice. He said, Dad, you're at home? I said, yeah. 
because I'm on my way by. And when he got off the phone, I started getting my mind prepared because I could hear yeah. in his voice yeah. that there was some tension. And he walks through the door and I see his body language. I said, yeah, what's up, man? What's going on? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. I said, no, 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 no. I said, you, you, don't, you didn't just call me, come over here for nothing. What's the deal? And he said, he said, I, I just feel like I'm just missing that one piece, that one thing that just keep what just keeping me back. And he yeah. he's been, I just, you know, I want to be this and I want to be that. And I said, son, you're 21. <laughs> he said, well, I'm tired of everybody telling me I'm just 21. I said, but you know what, Stevie? I'm glad that you have this conviction in your heart at 21 to sure. say, I want better. Yeah. I said, but here's what you have to understand. I said, it does take time, yeah. right? I said, so you can't get so frustrated because time has not happened yet. And then I shared with him, this is where I think is great, the, the parenting and fathering piece. And the Holy Spirit said, share with him just what you went through yesterday. Yeah. Because that Wednesday was a tough day emotionally for me. Sure, sure. I, I, matter of fact, I text you. You did, yeah. I said, Pastor, pray, pray. for me. Yeah, yes, you did. Because it was rough for me, right? It was rough, so I, I, I tapped into my prayer circle because I know what to do now when I'm feeling that way and how to fight that battle yeah. is to get people moving and praying. And I shared with him, I said, son, I had to reach out to my prayer circle. I said, I had a rough day emotionally yesterday. I was attacked um, spiritually. It was a spiritual attack. I recognized it and, and immediately I knew what I needed to put against it, which was people who I knew prayed. Yeah. I, said, I said, son, I started feeling my help. I started feeling better at about 4.35. I said, I can literally remember the time on the clock, son. I said, because it was such a battle all throughout the day. I said, I'm sharing that with you to tell you I want you to know you're going to have those moments in your day. What you, I said, son, what you feeling right now? I said, son, that's called life. It's, it's going to happen. I said, and you're trying to pursue something and be better. I said, the enemy knows it, bruh. I said, so now he got to attack your mind. He got to get you doubting yourself. And he got to get you uh, going to a place of low self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. I think this too. Our process, as we share with people, our process may not be their process. process. Mm. Right? So you may not be required to go through what I went through. Your steps may look differently for your outcome. Mm. But there's a step. You you remember that passage where they 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 go and they throw their nets, they didn't catch nothing, they come back. Jesus says, No, go back out there. Well, Jesus, we the fishermen, you don't know what you're doing. He says, Yeah, throw them over. And then they they cost so much that they couldn't they couldn't carry them all. So guess what? They call all of the other little boats around them. So so there were some people who got fish who didn't throw their net in. Woo! Wasn't their process. It was my process. Oh, that's good. My net in. That's good. But but because my process yielded some other folks some stuff, they ain't had to do nothing for it, but just bring their boat and their nets. Ah, boy. And so good. as we share with our children, they're just, just our processes are going to be different. Some things of ours, children, they just going to get because they're close to us. Mm. But then there are some things that they got to go through their own processes to get. My, my, my. Listen, let's, let's, the last thing I want us to kind of talk about, you got a chapter of, learn to listen deeply mm. um, I wanted to end there because most of us particularly men we struggle 
listening. Many times we listen to respond and yeah. not listen to really understand. I know I'm guilty. Yeah. I know I'm guilty. Yeah. Um, when you say learn, see that word learn is, is powerful. Learn. Yeah. Learn to listen deeply. How does one, I'm big on giving people processes to do things. So that's why you keep hearing me say, give me this process, sure, right? Sure, sure. How does one learn to listen deeply? I think this comes not naturally, but through maturity. Mm. Because earlier on in any relationship, you're, you're listening for the most part for the good or most men, when someone brings them an issue, they're listening to solve something, to bring about resolution. Um, but just growing and, and listening, learning to listen deeply is that communication conveys a lot, but it's not necessarily conveyed through words. It's conveyed through body language. It's conveyed through uh, tense and tone of conversations, right? Uh, when you, as a preacher, read the Bible and you listen, it, it's a conversation because you're listening to the author talk to you. And so as you read it slowly and you listen deeply, uh, there was a passage that you read 15 years ago. It's the same old passage, but when your ear has turned differently different, that's right, yeah, and yeah. you're trying to hear at a different depth, you hear something more, mm. right? So when you, when you hear your children say something to you generally, it's one thing. But when you really turn your ear on and they really express themselves in a different way, you hear something completely different. When Stevie called and said, hey, you knew. Mm -hmm. So when Stevie calls, my son Jaden or Tevin calls, Jaden typically says, are you by yourself? Mm. Because he really wants to say something, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, so listen deeply means listen to every word. Take, grab a sense of not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it. And then you begin to hear. And sometimes to listen deeply doesn't mean you have to even respond. Spond. It just means you listen. Let me ask you a question. Part of, I believe, listening deeply is making sure you're in that moment. How does one stay in that moment? One of the things I'm working on every day is how to stay in the present moment and and manage my thoughts. So there is another one in the book that says be present. And what yep. I mean by be present and what I think you mean by be present is we cannot be preoccupied with the thoughts of other things while we are in a moment of something else. Ah. So I can't be preaching a sermon or in church or engaged in a conversation with my wife, my family, whomever, but I am not there. I'm somewhere else. I'm preoccupied. And so sometimes ah. the busyness of our life, man, we have to schedule these moments. And, you know, what, what we used to say, give me your undivided attention. And I, what I tell my boys in the book is don't this may be bad grammar, but don't not be present in a moment that you will not be able to go back, back to. Ah. You're going to miss it. So be present in that moment, whatever that moment is, whether that's in your relationship, whether that's even with me. Um, 
you know, I've had some great times with my children. We go to sporting events, we go to camps and do all that kind of stuff. We've been to worship services. Be present in the moment because because you're you're not going to take away all that you could take away from it if you're not in the moment. Now, as a pastor, it's hard sometimes when I'm engaged in conversation. I've had people actually even tell me, you know, I thought you were rude. I was talking to you and you was talking to somebody else. But you know what happens, man. Everybody's touching you. Everybody wants to talk to you. And I say that. And I'm a bit of a hyperbole. But um, but it happens. And so what I try to do is that when I'm engaged with you, it's try to be engaged with you. Uh-huh. Right. I want to be present in that moment. Uh-huh. You know, so it takes effort. I also think we got to clear our schedule. Right. So you got to clear your mind and you got to be intentional about I am in this space to do this thing. I want to be present in the moment, right? Like, to, you know, I'm speaking at the Oklahoma Blood Institute as a motivational speaker, right? So I want to be present in that moment, but simultaneously, I know what's happening. Oh, you football game going to be on. My daughter got a volleyball game, but I got to be present in that moment, right? Like, I need to give those persons what I was asked to give them in that moment. And don't miss it. Mm-hmm. Don't miss it. You can be in a place, but not in a place. Mm-hmm. And, and people feel that, too. Mm-hmm. So if I'm supposed to be here, you've been around some celebrities who've been made to sign autographs or mm-hmm. do these socials, but you can you got the sense mm-hmm. that they really ready to go. They ain't in the moment. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in the moment and when you're present, man, you bring so much to it and you'll get so much out of it. You know, Pastor, um, I appreciate your time, bro. And um, I didn't know you were 48. I'm 51. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I proudly call you and say to you uh, and respect you as as a pastor and a leader um, because I have watched your uh, ability to be um, vulnerable at the appropriate times, transparent at the appropriate times, mm-hmm. um, pastoral at the appropriate times. And that's what makes me admire you is your ability to recognize the appropriate times. So I have been learning from you from afar. You know this. No. (laughs) How to be appropriate in each individual time. So I have to thank you for that. And that's why it's so important that we guard and watch our behavior because we don't know who's watching us who's not even coming into you. You didn't even know I've been watching you over the years. Just watching how you have responded whether it's coming to a, a church service when you walk in, do he got to go to the front of the church when he walk in? Can he slip in and sit in the back because he's secure in who he is as a leader and as a man? He ain't got to let nobody know he's in the bit. So that's the stuff that makes me admire. I'm just being honest with you. When I see men and leaders, that stuff I pay attention to. You know what, Stephen? I don't do any of this intentionally for anybody. I think some of this is just my personality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I don't need people to make much to do about me because it's unnecessary. Like, I appreciate that with those who do respect me and all of that. But I never felt like it was important for me to have to be walked to a front of a room. No, I'm, let me just sit back here. I'm good. I don't, it ain't just, I just, you know, this is Clergy Appreciation Month in October and. They, we appreciate all of our preachers and then they got this poster up there of me and they had it sitting up on the pulpit this poster with all of the gifts we were given to the associates now my photo was on it but all the names of the associates mm-hmm. were on it 
And so I walked in Sunday, I saw it, I'm like, eh. So I took the poster down and I told I told the lady that was doing it, I said, I don't have a problem with the gifts and stuff. I said, I can't, I don't want me to be up here mm. on this photo. Mm. I don't want to look at me. Mm. Because I don't want it to be about me. Mm. It could be out in the vestibule. And we all know that. And mm. I'm not trying to act like I'm not the pastor. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is that's just my personality. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need that. I've been a, a, a collegiate athlete, a professional athlete. I get what comes with that, man. But I, I just want to attempt to walk in humility. Not because I'm trying to prove something to anybody. I just think that that's a requirement for me. I know what the Lord has me do. So I appreciate that uh, as as much as anything else, man. But, you know, the one thing I say in the book, to thine own self be true. And, and I can only be true and transparent about who I am, right? So that may make some people good, may make some people say not so good, but but I got to be who I am. And that's why is it, I'm so glad that you are a part of this conference. And I am very intentional about who I put in front of young people and who I put it. One of the things, Pastor, I have learned and figured out and, and I accept is that I do have a voice, yeah. that I do have influence, and God requires me to be a good steward sure. of that influence, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And that means being intentional about who I bring to put in front of people on behalf of, right? Yeah. And so I am looking forward to the young men and men to hear this podcast that we will share and um, those young men to have a chance to be in the room with you mm-hmm. on that day and, and hear you pour into them. Um, I believe that um, we're, we're in an interesting place in our history, but I think probably one of the most important important times in our history. Sure. So we must be real intentional yeah. and courageous in how we go about yeah. doing what we do. Yeah. So, man, thank you. I'm going to let you have the last word. I, I, I do this with everybody. Um, I want you uh, to have the last word. Well, let me say thank you to you, Steve. Um, and, you know, I can only imagine the the attacks that come with what you do, right? I think to do what you've done, and I've been watching you in the schools now for a little while, and you're making me in program curriculum and uh, the awakening of women, you know, to be honest, this is something that's gonna outlive Steve Davis. And and I think you should be commended for that, right? So, uh, but your process has been your process. Mm. And, and you know that that hasn't been easy. And I think the challenging thing for me is to be in front of people to help them but you're standing in front of them and you still need help. Mm. Right? That's that is the oxymoron, right? This is the sharp and dull of our existence, mm. right? Uh, I think it was uh, Kenneth Oma who says, we shepherds, but we still got sheep in us. Right? So uh, that's the tension of our lives. So thank you for putting your life on display. Um, I'm a big poem quote guy. My mantra that I live by is, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. Mm. The poem that I love the most is, I've walked a mile with pleasure and she chattered all the way, but none the wiser she left me with all she had to say. But I've walked a mile with sorrow and never a word said she, but all the things that sorrow taught me as she walked with me. So, um, you know, those are the things I live by in life. Hey, we're going to let that end us. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir.